Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. So uh, my mom, she's been in glory now for a couple of decades, and so uh, she was my absolute biggest fan. Uh, almost to, to the point where, you know, like if you got to know her, like she really did think like I hung the moon kind of a thing. And, um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really that kid, uh, but, you know, she made me think I was, and she made everybody else around her think that I was that kid because she was my absolute biggest fan. Whatever I showed interest in, my mother would throw her boundless energy and whatever resources she could muster toward whatever it was that I uh, had shown some interest in. And so, you know, I showed interest in uh, reading very, very young and reading like these big old uh, fantasy books, usually with like, you know, a wizard and a quest and a dragon that needed to be killed or something like that. And, uh, and so this idea of, of a quest, of pulling people together and we're all working together within our, our, you know, wizard and dwarf and elf kind of fantasy and going to conquer the evil beasts out in the world. Uh, I was totally into it and, it, and it must have stuck with me because it kind of feels like what I'm still doing. And, uh, and, so, and so my mother wouldn't buy me like one series or make me go to the library. I had hundreds of these books. Not one, not two, hundreds. My, just lining the walls, piles and boxes. She knew I was reading in the middle of the night with a flashlight and she would just kind of walk in. She'd be like, yep, he's asleep. And I'm like, she's lying for me. Cause she's like, I know you want to read, just you can read. And so, you know, this is who she was. I showed an interest in magic. And so, you know, I got a little kit one day for Christmas and doing some magic tricks and I was interested. And so I, she wanted me to, t- I took lessons and we started s- talking to experts. There was a magic shop and I know that like, and so we would do that. And so by the time I was 10, I was a professional magician. I had monthly paid gigs with my own guillotine. As 10 years old, this is, this is my mom, right? So she gets through everything she had. Well, one of the things I showed interest in one time was rock collecting. It was like super nerdy. But, uh, you know, if any of you are rock collectors, you keep with it. And, and don't let anybody talk trash about you. And anyway, so I got into rock collecting one time. And that meant for my mom, of course, you know, a whole big rock collection and hundreds of samples. And we would travel, like, throughout the tri-state area going to quarries. And we would, like, collect rocks from different areas that she had researched and found out that, like, a special kind of rock would be over there. And I could go get it. And until so we go to shows, and I amassed quite the impressive and expensive collection of rocks. And so, are there any rock collectors now willing to admit rock collectors? Be courageous. If you are, have anybody been a rock collector? All right, we have a couple of you guys are the best. And so, listen, you can talk to me. You just come. No, I'm just. And so, like, and so we would collect rocks, and rocks, you know, they, they often come in like, you know, kind of dull and, and sharp edged, but. But uh, I don't know if you guys, some of you know what this is already because you've seen them before, but this is a rock tumbler, right? So anybody, how many people have seen a rock tumbler? Well, a couple of nerds out there, excellent. So, and, so, uh, and so what happens with a rock tumbler is it's super cool. You, uh, uh, I mean, super cool is, I guess that's a, that's a rough interpretation, but because uh, I can go in a couple different ways. And you put a whole lot of just like, you know, clunky, uh, coarse, uh, dusty, old, broken up rocks, and you, you, you put them in, you know, this little drum, and then you mix it with all sorts of different types of grit, 
And, you know, there might be four, five, six different types of grit. And it's like sandpaper, but what you do is you kind of mix it in there and together the rocks with the grit sort of start to replicate what uh, would happen to these rocks at like the beach. And so this is it. It just, it does, it's not super exciting to watch. It gets boring pretty quick. But especially because this goes on for weeks, like days and then weeks. And then after like a week or so, you open it up and you clean some stuff out and you put another type of grit in. It's a different process, a different stage. And then, you know, another week or two later, you put another pit, bit, bit of grit in. And there's like different parts to this that you get to do. And these things just tumble, sometimes for a month, some, sometimes even longer. And we've been, we've been working through this whole series on soundtracks. And we've been hearing from a lot of you. This has really struck a, a nerve uh, with a lot of folks here, which we sort of knew it would because we felt like it was important for us to learn and think about. And so... And as I've been thinking about it, I realize one of the issues that's coming up is that people are saying, you know, I, now that I'm getting my, my handle on this and I'm identifying some soundtracks, I'm having a hard time because I'm not getting rid of them. I'm not rewriting them. And you're getting a little overwhelmed. You're like, how come I'm still dealing with these things? And what I'm saying to you is these things are going to take time. This is more like rock tumbling. Remember, this isn't about throwing a switch. This is going to be you taking grit of different sorts, of different type, and mixing it all in with these rough and dull soundtracks. And ultimately, what ends up, ends up happening is they become like gemstone-type rocks. You know, this is what they look like when they start to come out of the tumbler. They get all shiny and you get to see things that were in them. And so what used to be coarse and harsh and maybe had some sharp edges actually starts to show some, some lines of beauty and some different shades and some different color. And a beauty starts to pop from these rocks. Now, with a whole lot of time and a bunch of different kinds of grit, these things that could have been unwanted or easily discarded or overlooked becomes something now that every crafter would want to use to make little bits of jewelry and other sorts of, to, of valuable looking gemstone type things. This is, this is the process. And it takes time. It takes time. And I don't want anybody here to get discouraged because you're like, oh man, by now I should have been further along. Oh, by now I should have beaten that thought. That's, that's not how this whole process works. Almost nothing in spiritual formation uses a microwave. It uses something more like this. It takes some time. We've got to remember this as we continue in our series uh, that we're calling Soundtracks. Because as followers of Christ, we will, until we go to glory, we are going to continuing to retire unhelpful soundtracks, replacing them with soundtracks that are based on God's truth and repeating them again and again and again and again and again until they transform our lives so that we are more and more transformed into the image of our Savior. That's where we're going with this. Now, by way of quick review, in case some of you hadn't been here uh, to, I want to catch you up super, super fast. Soundtracks, name of the book, John Acuff, he's the guy that first got us thinking about some of these things. But Esther Smith brought a deeply biblical application bent to our study. We have used her book 
a short little book at great uh, length and to great reward during this series and in our own personal lives. And these are some of the thoughts that she recognized. Worried and anxious, depressed and hopeless, racing and incessant mental chatter. Ay, that happens all, it's happening to me right now. And, and, you know, all the irrational, sinful thoughts in conflict with our theology, intrusive thoughts. These are, some, these are ones that don't yield very readily or very easily for a very, very long period of time. Thoughts related to our trauma also get deeply rooted in our psyches in a way that very, other, very, very few things. A lot of the strategies we've been talking about, they'll only be nibbling on the edges of thoughts that are, that are rooted in trauma. So we got to be careful about that one and careful to apply better tools or more, more deep uh, searching tools for trauma. And then, of course, unwanted thoughts about unwanted thoughts, which I've told you in the past is, you know, exactly what I've been doing now since we've been studying this for two months. I'm like, oh, there's an unwanted thought. Oh, now I'm worried about unwanted thoughts. So it's unwanted thoughts about unwanted thoughts, which is ironic and not, not very funny. And what we saw in the scriptures is that we have to take ownership of our thoughts. The Bible gives us this simple solution to combating the negative soundtracks. Take ownership of your thoughts. And we get it out of 2 Corinthians. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. That's what this whole series has been about. And the way that we have done that is we've had messages about all of these different topics. Are your soundtracks true? Are they helpful? Are they kind? Ask your soundtracks these questions. You drag them out of hiding and you force them to answer these questions. And if they are not, then we found out that it's time to retire them, to replace them, and then to repeat that until you have rewired uh, and uh, given new life to the soundtracks that Christ has for you. Then, and then two weeks ago, I did a message. And again, all of these are on the web. This is only a quick review. I did a message on uh, turndown techniques. And we were saying it's not a switch, it's a dial. And we want to encourage you to not underestimate the mind-body-soul connections, to leverage every reaction, to create new patterns, fill your mind with gospel mantras. By the way, this one in particular has been super helpful for me lately. I've been, been really working this one. Uh, this I've really been thinking about for about a year now anyway, so this has been super cool. This one, Leverage Every Reaction, is one that when I was talking to some of you and the team, more of you said, can we go deeper on that topic? Can we talk a little bit more about what you mean when you say leverage your reactions. And so that's what we're going to be spending the rest of our time on here today, learning to leverage our reactions uh, and what we mean. And so, and so what, I, what I mean by this is every single reaction that you have, good, bad, ugly, happy or sad, anger or apathy, every reaction you have can be leveraged because every reaction is a revelation. All right, stick with me here on this. I'm going to move very fast here for a little while, but every reaction is a revelation. Every single emotion you have, every longing, every outburst where you're screaming at your kids, every one of these can be a revelation as to what is going on in your soul. Every one of them can reveal soundtracks, good or bad. Every lustful glance, 
every dive into the dark underbelly of the internet. These are revelatory for you. If you will press in. The warm feelings you get around Thanksgiving. That's a reaction. It's a revelation. Something, it's telling you something about what's going on in your heart, what your longing is. If instead you have nothing but anxiety and fear and anticipation in advance of the, of the big meal, that too is telling you something. Every reaction is a revelation. And it is good to question yourself. One of our favorite psalms around this idea is Psalm 42. In my mind, the psalmist is walking through the woods on a hot day and he sees a deer. And that deer makes a thought. It makes an impression on him. And, then, and that, that deer, that impression that, that, he has seen, that, that this deer is panting for streams of water, then he realizes, wait a second, that's revealing something about my own soul. My soul is actually thirsty for God. My tears What's your heartache? What hardships? What's bringing you to cry, good and bad? What do you weep up? Just this morning, I got an email from someone here in the congregation, and their father had, has, is, is now receiving Christ as Savior, and the promise of glory awaits. And I, and I find myself tearing up at my computer looking at my email. What are, the, what are your tears telling you? Food day and night, while people say to me, where is your God? Someone's challenging him. He's getting, a, a person's coming up and saying, where is your God? You have this faith, that challenge. What is he going to do with that challenge? What is that doing internally? What is he thinking? Is he being reactive? Is he going to lash out because of this? These things I remember. He's taking the time. He's pausing. He's remembering how I used to go to the house of, the God, house of God. It, something is, I used to be able to go. I used to have these, among the festive throng, there were these, what brought me joy? When I used to be able to go to the house of God, when I used to experience the worship of God's people, when I got to spend my time with this festive throng, what was that doing in my soul? So you can press into all of these reactions. I'll remember you from the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon. You ever notice how many times the scriptures use geography, the place that you are? They reference it all the time. These things mean something. Sometimes you're going to go out to the beach and you're going to have an experience with God and you're going to be like, wow, I guess God only lives at the beach. No, it's not that, but something about that moment and something about that experience and something about all of the other sensations and something, was it the majesty of God? What did it? When you, when you think about how you react to the places that you're at and why you go to the places that you go and why do you avoid the places that you avoid, all of these things can be leveraged. Every single one of them. Deep calls to deep. This is beautiful. I can't develop it, but it's awesome and amazing. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Oh, this just took a, an awful turn. Someone was attacking him, but now he realizes that it's the chaos of the deep of God's breakers that are washing over him. Is he getting frustrated? Is he angry at God? Is he willing to press into whether or not he's angry at God? This can be one of the most valuable things you do when you're feeling that God isn't delivering, that he himself has now turned against you. Some people say, I can't talk. I can't think like that. I can't meditate on that. You best meditate on that. You press in to those moments. You don't hide from those moments. Day and night. Throughout the whole rhythm of his day. 
24 hours presents an opportunity day and night for prayer to reflect and to meditate and to bring it before God, to say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Can you bring the rawest and deepest and most troubling of your emotions and your thoughts before God? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer. Is he experiencing physical pain? Bones suffering mortal agony? Is he bringing his health needs? Is he noticing that when his body hurts, it impacts his soul, the mind-body-soul connection? Is he seeing something that's going on? Is he trying to figure out what that means for his journey with God? And he, and he hits us with this time and again, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Why? See, it is good to question your soul. It is good why are you so anxious within me? Why are you so obsessed with this thing? Why do you experience such joy in these moments? Why do you love to spend time with these kinds of people in those sorts of ways? Why? And you press in to these moments. I um, had this time, it was a few years ago, one of my uh, dear friends, another pastor on the island, John Yenshko, North Shore Community Church. I don't actually know if I've ever told him this story, so I hope he doesn't watch the stream. But um, so here we go. He uh, was visiting the church one Sunday. You know, sometimes pastors take a vacation and they, uh, and they visit other churches. And uh, so he did that and he visited Beacon. Now, I have made it a lifetime practice to not care if a pastor from another church is visiting our church. I just, I have a whole storyline that I tell myself about how we're doing what God has us to do. I don't need to worry about what they're thinking and I don't have to like try to impress anybody because, you know, we're doing our thing and we're, we're trying to follow God as openly and as honestly. And I have this whole narrative set up about who I am and the security I have in Jesus. All pretty good stuff, actually, uh, I thought. And then um, John, he... Uh, he, he's been kind of with us on this journey in a sense because when we started the church, there was like eight of us meeting in our basement over in Carl Place. And then the church began to grow and we were given a building and more people came and God was clearly just blessing. And you know, we're trying not to like talk about it and be like too much like, wow, look what God's doing over here. We're amazing. This is incredible. We're trying to like keep, you know, rightful, humble posture before God and know that it's his blessing. And I'm being like as open about this as I possibly can. And some of you are going to think, wow, you're weird and, and really screwed up. Um, but so anyone comes to the church, any pastor visits, I don't care. And while John was sitting there, I started thinking to myself, man, I hope we have a really good worship set today. I hope it's just the best. I hope our band crushes it. Oh, man, that transition wasn't great. Oh, man, how many announcements do we have? Are they going to be too long? Oh, God, I got to clean that up. I wonder what the parking situation was like. I wonder if you had to park too far. I wonder if, we, did our greeters greet them? Because they wouldn't necessarily know. And then I start, now this is before I even start to teach. Now I start to teach and I'm like, I'm teaching and I have a whole other track running while I'm teaching because that's super effective. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what is John thinking? Is he impressed? Oh, this story's coming up. I bet he's going to like that story. He'll probably even use it. And, and I'm thinking this. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what is going on? You have a story in your head that this doesn't matter to you. And all of a sudden, your personal experience is that it does matter to you. And why does it matter? We're doing great. 
Like everything about, like, this is, we're, we're moving in the right direction. Everything is up into the right. Why are we, this is, should not be a problem. John's a, our biggest cheerleader. And so I made a check in my soul and I said, you know, I need to come back to this. I need to press into this. I need to revisit what all of these reactions were all about. So I did. Over the next weeks and months, I started examining it. And I realized that I have a narrative that says, I don't really care what everybody thinks. And we don't actually talk about it. I rarely give our numbers out to people. I rarely say, oh yeah, we had a record number of this. And oh my goodness, so many kids at Trunk or Treat. You wouldn't have believed it. We had hundreds of kids. We had 33% of our, I know all the numbers. I got them all in my head. I could be rattling them off whenever. But we have made it a spiritual discipline not to do that for a whole lot of reasons in the church and community and the broader thing and all of that kind of stuff. And our own ego, trying to keep it in check. And so all of this. But you see, John does not have restraint like that. Every time we get together with our colleagues, he's the most encouraging person in the world. And he tells awesome stories about Beacon and our team and how amazing you all are and how good the church is doing and how proud he is of us. And I realize it's not that I don't want everybody to know. I want them all to know from John. Because I want them to know. I want them to be like, man, did you hear how awesome Beacon is doing without me ever having to say it? Because then I can keep up the facade of being like disinterested and not really having ego invested in it. And then I realize, oh my goodness, you have so much ego invested. If John is happy, then you're happy because John's going to tell everyone how awesome this is. I was like, this is so screwed up. I don't want to dismiss those moments. I want to press into those moments. And I want to encourage you to press into those moments. Don't just simply let them fly by, but seize them and know that every single reaction can be a revelation. Now, you want to keep this distinctly Christian, and so I'm blasting through these. God's word, Hebrews 4, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts, attitudes of the heart. You have got to know God's word. It's one of the great grits that are out there. You want to add some grit into this story? You've got to know God's word. God's spirit. The scripture tells us in John 16, it is best for you that I go away. This is Jesus speaking, so this is hard to believe. But Because if I don't, the advocate, that's the, the secret code name, spy name for the Holy Spirit, he won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. There is no wiser tool for untangling what is going on in your soul than the Holy Spirit. You see, you've got so many competing things going on and you have so many values, some that are really, really good and some that are kind of dark and base. And it's the Holy Spirit that can start to untangle these things in your soul. Things that you are, you're solidly confident about in your life, you need the Spirit to untangle some of these things in your soul. And these reactions, fueled now by the power of the Spirit in you and the invitation of the Spirit and your willingness to submit yourself to it can do incredibly wonderful things as you're starting to try to figure these things out and really get to know who you are. The Spirit can help you do that. And this self-awareness piece is huge. It's huge. We're going to talk about it in, in future weeks, I hope. Almost every single great writer in spiritual realm for hundreds, thousands of years has made self-knowledge key to the whole of this process. Augustine, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? St. Teresa of Avila, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. 
D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. The gospel takes up the whole of our feelings, which should be actively engaged as Christians. You read the lives of all the great saints of all the centuries. It doesn't matter what communion they belong to, and you'll find that every one of them has emphasized the importance of self-examination. Every one of them. John Calvin, he wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion. It is a magnum opus of systematic theology. One of the, the key works of all of literature, certainly Christian literature. And he begins with our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. If you want to grow in this way, bringing the spirit into this conversation is one of the ways to know who you really are and let the spirit untangle these things in your soul. And then, of course, God's community. Back to Hebrews. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you can be hardened, but will be hardened by sins of deceitfulness. You take this grit and you mix it in with all of these coarse and dull and sometimes jagged-edged uh, soundtracks and, and, and you put them all in the tumbler with a whole lot of time and a whole lot of motion and, and you let God do what God is going to do. Take God's word, God's spirit, God's people. This is effective. It is wise. It is supportive. And this is, is what we need to evaluate every reaction. Every reaction. So we're in chapel. Uh, every week, uh, some leaders, about a dozen or so leaders from the church, we have a chapel. And uh, a bunch of you have been a part of it, but uh, we uh, do this uh, really on Tuesday mornings, and uh, for, it's, it's open to all the leaders here in the church, and we spend some time in worship and in prayer and in telling stories about what's going on here in uh, the church, in church life. And uh, we also just do some soul work, trying to figure out what God is doing in, in our lives. And... Uh, we were talking about this, the difficulty of reflecting and of getting to really know what's going on in our souls, how challenging it is to do introspection using God's word, his spirit, and his people. And we realized it wasn't so much because it was difficult to accomplish. In fact, I'm going to give you a very easy recipe at the end of this message on how to do this. But because, we, but we knew it was, we realized it was difficult because it was hard to face ourselves with such complete honesty and transparency. That's the challenge of it. And we stumbled onto an idea. We began talking about Romans 7, 8. Some of you will be familiar with Romans 7. This is Paul. He's unspiritual. He says, a slave to sin. I do not understand what it is he does. What I hate, I do. It's sin living in me. I have the desire to do what is good. I can't carry it out. The evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. See, introspection gets us to the point of wretchedness. And this is what we're trying to avoid. This is why we won't press in. This is why we won't get as honest and as transparent as we possibly can with our Savior, which is lunacy because he actually already knows all of this and we understand that, but instead we still won't press in because we have a hard time with this. We don't want to get to the point where we recognize the wretchedness. That's Romans 7. And what we're saying is 
You need Romans 7 if you want to experience Romans 8. And if you experience Romans 8 without Romans 7, then you're going to be running off in all sorts of weird and wrong directions because you're going to be robbing the gospel of its ultimate power. And so what you need is Romans 7, 8. Because 8 says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He delivers me. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the spirit who gives life set you free. God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. The atonement brings the healing. You see, you take all of these things and when you find the things that you don't like in Romans 7, when you find the wretchedness and you must find the wretchedness or you will rob the cross of its power, then you've experienced Romans 7, 8. All right, say that with me. Ready? It's Romans 7, 8. Not 7 and 8. Ready? It's Romans 7 8. One word. Ready? Romans 7 8. You got to get it tighter. He's going to save your life. Ready? Romans 7 There you go. It's Romans 7 8. You need it to recognize the fullness of the transparency, the openness, but experiencing the weight of our salvation. Every reaction is a revelation that you can leverage to move closer to the image of Christ. Every reaction you can leverage. Now, we need to compel our soundtracks out of hiding. We need to unmask their lies. We need to purify them in the bright and sometimes searing light of God's truth. We need to press into the insecurities and we need to make certain that we are continually bringing them into the truth of God's word and his love and his mercy. This is an ongoing process and you're going to be doing this till the day you die and you're going to be sharpening the way that you think about these things but you're going to be creating beauty out of these clunky soundtracks that are actually going to reveal lines of glory. You know, maybe you can't stop thinking about what other people think about you, even people that you barely know are strangers. Think about how ludicrous that is, and yet we all do it. You don't even know them. You don't even like them. You don't even value their opinion. You can't stop thinking about what they're thinking about you. Grab that overthinking and shine God's truth on it. You made a small mistake at work. Over and over and over and over again, it's running. You can't stop thinking about it. You wake up in the middle of the night. You regret it. You keep beating yourself up. Why? Press in. Don't ignore it. You fear everything. It's your constant companion. Listen, you're not going to be eaten by a shark. You can just put that off the things if you need to worry, that you need to worry about. But so many of the things that we worry about actually are in these categories. You're probably never going to go hungry. You're probably never going to live on the streets. But these and all sorts of other fears, they haunt our waking and our sleeping hours. Press into your fears. They're one of the most valuable uh, opportunities that you will be presented with. What do these soundtracks reveal about your faith, about your trust, about your idols, about your hopes, about your dreams? Press into these things. Why is it that we continue to neglect our own self-care? This matters. Exercise and eating right or rest or meaningful activities. Why are you always going the extra mile even if it means that you're not able to steward your own self? What's driving that? 
What is the soundtrack behind it? it is, a, it's a, is it a savior complex? Is it megalomania? Is it, is it intense insecurity? What is the spirit whispering to you when you give him some space to speak? When you can't let go of what happened last week or last month or last year or last marriage or last relationship or last employer or last friend, last doctor's appointment, last argument. Don't simply keep rehearsing and dwelling on these things. Do something with these unwanted and unhelpful thoughts. Force them into the light of the gospel. Maybe your desire for more is unquenchable. More status, more money, more likes, more security, more accomplishments. And they lead to a longer and even uh, more impressive resume. And you're like, that's what I want. This unchecked need for more, it needs to be rewritten. Bring it before God. Bring it before your Savior. Bring it before your Christian family and see how these things can be dismantled and rebuilt to draw you closer to Jesus and help you become what you were truly meant to be. And I want to encourage you to spend time every single day. I'm going to offer you this challenge. It's the daily examine. I've mentioned it before. I regularly use it. Uh, it's very practical. It will take about 15 minutes on a daily. It's a 400-year-old practice, by the way. St. Ignatius created it. And uh, it's prayer-filled mindfulness. You begin by entering God's presence. And you do this by simply acknowledging that this is a sacred moment. And you're inviting God and the Spirit to enter into what might have been a confusing blur of a day. And you're inviting him back to take a look with you through the last 24 hours. So no matter what time of the day you're doing this, you invite him in to look through the last 24 hours and then you review that day with gratitude. Note its joys and its delights and its heartaches. Focus on the gifts that, that, that this day presented to you, that the last 24 hours presented to you. The people that you interacted with. What did you receive from them and what did you give to them. And pay attention even to the small things, like the deer that you might see panting at the stream, or the food you ate, or the sights you saw, or the other seemingly small pleasures. What is it that's awakening in your soul in these moments? And then you're going to pay attention to your inner world. And this is so vital. This is really what Ignatius added in one of the great insights, is that we can detect the presence of the Spirit of God in the movements of our emotions. And this is so vital. You get to reflect on your feelings that you experienced during the day, whether it was boredom or elation or resentment or compassion or anger or confidence. And, and what is it that God is saying through these feelings? Look deeply into the implications, even to the thing that's driving the thing. Go behind the curtain even more deeply. Focus on one or two. And what I mean by that is you're, now you're in the presence of the Spirit. You're hoping, you're trusting that the Spirit is leading and guiding. And so let your mind go. Let it run through these things and see what keeps coming back and then drill down into that one or two moments and try to figure out what that's about. Maybe God is, is actually bringing that back to your attention for a reason. Maybe it's a moment. Maybe he's saying, listen, there's something here I want you to take away. And you might, it might be a moment of great joy and elation and it settles in your heart as the deepest of gratitude that you've experienced in months. Maybe it was a worshipful moment you had and you just drift back into it and you relive that moment. 
maybe it was a very hard and painful conversation with a very draining person. And, or maybe you behaved poorly and badly and you're feeling a little sense of shame and guilt. This is amazing. You want to press into that and then you want to take Romans 7, 8 on it. But you want to, you want to acknowledge these. Focus on the one or two moments. And then you want to look forward to the day with God. Asking him to dwell with you for the next 24 hours to make you aware, to, to help him, to ask him to help you to think through these things and to apply these principles, to remember his goodness and his love and his mercy. You look forward to the day with God. So here is what I'm asking you to do, and I'm going to be very specific on this. I'm going to ask you to commit to the daily examine until the end of this series. That's what I'm going to ask for. We end the series on November 27th. That is 21 days. I am almost certain that if you commit yourself for 15 minutes for 21 days, you will have experienced a, the, the presence of God and a clarity of emotions and experience with him and a purifying of some soundtracks and a strengthening of good soundtracks and a tearing down of bad ones in a way that you hadn't before. I am almost certain 15 minutes a day, 21 days. Now here's the trick. Before you leave today, I want you to decide if you were doing it, where you were doing it, and when you were doing it. You already know what you're doing. 15 minutes, daily examine. Where are you gonna do it? And when are you going to do it? Researchers tell us that if, in fact, we go through that process, we will be more likely to succeed. Is it going to be at lunchtime, in your car, in the parking lot, with your mocha? Awesome. Is it going to be at the end of the day when you can carve out 15 minutes after you put all the kids to bed? Perfect. Where will it be? In that chair? In that place? In your secret closet? Out on the porch? Where? When? And I'd encourage you to take a notebook and a pen with you, not a device, nothing with a battery. I'd encourage you to take paper and pen with you. November 27th, 21 days, 15 minutes, where and when, I encourage you to try it. Let's pray. Father, we're asking that you would meet us here today in these moments, that you would challenge our souls, but Father, that for all who take up this challenge, Lord, that you would speak your truth and your love to them in incredibly powerful ways, that they would begin to see the unraveling of so much that has troubled and disturbed them, that you would give them clarity into their souls, that, Father, they would question it. Why are these things going on in my heart and in my mind? And you, Lord, would be bringing your love and your forgiveness and your mercy and your truth about us as your children, that you would sharpen our understanding of our identity in you. And Father, that the folks who participate would come to experience you in a more full and a complete way than they have before. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.